0: Welcome to Sederis. For those of you who are new, welcome. Uh, So excited to meet you at some point. Um, My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Sederis. And each and every week we step into a time of teaching where we come to the Word of God and and ask Him, What do you have in this for us? We believe that, uh, as I'll mention today, all Scripture is breathed out by God, and so it's inspired by God. it's helpful for teaching and reproof and correction and leading us to life. And so we've been walking through uh, a series in 1 Corinthians, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the city of Corinth. Uh, about 20 uh, years or so after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension. And, and Paul had helped to start the church in Corinth, and then he'd gone off to start other churches, and he's writing Uh, correspondence back to his church, helping them, he's realized that uh, things aren't going exactly as they should go, that they in some way have lost uh, the original gospel, that in some way that they've uh, stopped moving in step with the peculiar wisdom of that gospel, which is the peculiar wisdom of Christ, which is this thing that says, in order that we might live, Christ must die. And when we want to live, we too have to die to something so that we can live. So uh, this is peculiar wisdom, but when you move in step with it, it leads to a kind of beauty that's hard to take your eyes off of. And so if you're new and you walked in and you saw these birds We've talked about how the church, when it's working together, when it's seeking the wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of the world, that we actually begin to move in a way that scientists can't even explain in a kind of unity and a kind of love uh, that creates these beautiful patterns in the world. And people can't help but wonder and consider, I wonder, I consider... Maybe there's some life there that I haven't seen. So that's the bird installation. That's the title of our series, Moving in Step with the Peculiar Wisdom of Christ. And so today we come to a passage um, that's known as a vice list. First time, if you're here, you've come on a vice list Sunday. So what is a vice list? We're going to look at several vice lists in the Bible, uh, but it's a set of parameters that um, the New Testament puts out and says the community of God and individuals within that community uh, should seek to avoid these certain things for they are not in step with the wisdom of God as revealed to us through Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. And so uh, when we fail to move in step with these particular parameters or we give ourselves over to uh, these vices, it will create disconnection from both God and from his community, and that's not good, and God doesn't want that for you, and so in his mercy and grace, he's given us these parameters, and the question we have is, do we want to live by them? So uh, what I'll do, just to begin, just so you know, we're going to read a ton of scripture (laughs) today, so if you've got a copy of the scriptures, grab it. Uh, pull it out. If you don't, there's some in the seat back in front of you. And if you do grab that Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, it looks a bit like this. Uh, This is one of them. We're going to be on page 1014. 1014 in chapter 6 of Corinthians. So we're going to read that together. Now as you're turning there, before I read the passage, we have to always try to put in context when we read The Bible. And so the context of this particular passage, you're going to have to go back two weeks. Last week we did a special Mother's Day sermon. Um, But two weeks ago, Ryan talked about the people of God who are who move in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ, they shouldn't just go around suing one another. If they have beef, they have a wisdom amongst themselves that they should be able to come to a mediated. resolve of the dispute and Paul will say why are you going to the external ungodly people that don't have the mind of Christ or the wisdom that comes through the spirit why are you going to them to to resolve these disputes these would typically be disputes like you owe me three goats no I only owe you two and Paul will even say in that passage he'll say so what if you get cheated So what if you don't get everything that you're fairly due? What is that to the peculiar wisdom of Christ? You'd rather take that brother or sister in the church to court and have some person outside of the church judge, perhaps even put in jail, your brother and sister? What is this? So that's the context with which we come to this vice list. And I'll explain more about vice lists in just a second and how to understand them. So Paul's just said that. So I will start just a little bit back in verse 5. So chapter 6, verse 5, he's talking about taking one another to court. And he's just said, you guys in God's future kingdom will actually get to judge angels. And yet you're going to give each other over to human secular judges who don't understand righteousness in the ways of God. So he says this, verse uh, verse 5. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, God goes to court, or sorry, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. See the context here? As it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you, meaning why are you trying to cheat each other out of what is rightfully one another's why are you grumbling against one another why not rather be wronged why not rather be cheated instead you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do this to brothers and sisters in the community of, of God and then he goes on to say don't you know don't you know now I'm going to just pause here before I read the remainder of the vice list don't you know we've seen this over and over again in first Corinthians Paul says, don't you know, Paul had likely written at least one or maybe two other letters to them that laid out a lot of this stuff, and yet he keeps getting word back that it's not getting any better. Plus, when Paul was there as the primary teacher in the community, he would have taught all these things to them. So it's important to understand that this isn't sort of Paul's first communication to the church. He's not just sort of laying this out. He's, he's saying, you guys know what I've taught about these things. So we're about to read the vices, and he says, you guys know that these things are not in step with Christ and his peculiar wisdom. You already know it. I'm reminding you. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, Or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul's saying... Probably what's going on is these judges that people were taking them to are known for these particular vices. And sure enough, the the city of Corinth was known for these particular vices. And so Paul selects these particular vices and says, We know that there is a difference in the wisdom between God and the world. And those who follow the wisdom of God will inherit all that God has promised. And then he gives the vice list. So I want to say a few things about vice lists. But in order to do it, I want to actually read you a few other vice lists that we find in Scripture. Several of these come also from the pen of the Apostle Paul, as half of the New Testament is written by Paul. And So I just want to read through them just to give you a bit of a flavor. Because this is not the only place that you see a list such as this. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21. You don't have to turn that. We'll put it on the screen behind us. Paul says this. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, adultery, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And listen to what he says I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So be listening to some patterns. Ephesians 5.5, 5, a letter to another church Paul helped to start in Ephesus. Paul wrote this, For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.8-11 says this, But we know that the law is good, Provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious. For the ungodly and, the, and sinful. For the unholy and the irreverent. For those who kill their fathers and mothers. For murderers. For the sexually immoral. And males who have sex with males. For slave traders, liars, perjurers. And whatever else is contrary to sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed one, which was entrusted to me. Then in Second Timothy, also written by the Apostle Paul, he writes this: "But know this: hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders without self-control, brutal without love for what is good, traitors reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Then the Apostle John writes this in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. He says this, Then the one seated on the throne, that's Jesus, he's got a vision of the future that God has given him, will say this, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, Write this, because these words are faithful and true. Then he, that's Jesus, said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars... Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So here's some other vice lists. Who who can be saved, right? Well, that's exactly the point. None can be saved. Except through the sacrifice and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So go back to, look at your 1 Corinthians 6 again. Look at the very last verse, verse 11. And some of you used to be like this. Now this particular vice list is not exhaustive. It's got just some examples, probably some examples that were particularly common in that city Corinth, which we've talked about, was a port city. Sexual immorality was what that city was known for. But you see, when you look at the fullness of all the vice lists in Scripture, and there's others that I didn't read, there's so many stumbling blocks, so many ways to fall short of the glory of God. In fact, Paul will also say no one, not one person, has lived a life worthy of the calling to the kingdom of God. Not one. But, what does it say, verse 11? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's beautiful. God's mercy and grace meets us even in our vices and brings us new life. Now, Jesus will go on himself to talk about this. Did you you catch the, the, the through line? The viceless tied to the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Did you see that in so many of the passages? Jesus himself says something very similar. Matthew 25, 31 to 34. We'll throw it on the screen behind me here. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about himself. After his ascension, one day he says, I, I will return. And he says, And I'll come with all my angels. He says, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, he'll put the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, what is this kingdom? And how do you inherit it? What we've been doing in this series is pointing to chapter 15 a lot, because chapter 15, we've said it's the climax of this entire letter. In chapter 15, what have we said? It's all about the resurrection of the dead. It says, don't forget, some of you are denying the resurrection of the dead, but if you deny the resurrection of the dead... You have to deny Christ's resurrection, but if Christ has not been resurrected, then we are all lost in our sin and we are in vain. And 1 Corinthians goes on. In verse 50 to 51, it says this, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. Paul is, is consistent in this. You can go and you read Romans 8. I'm not going to read it right now. But he says the same thing. We live now in the flesh. Our vices are rooted in our, our flesh, our earthly desires. But God is going to give us new desires that, that are weightier. It doesn't mean the old desires go away, but the new desires are weightier. That's the new desires of the Spirit. And the Spirit craves for the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And so Paul will say, all these vices are rooted in the flesh, and flesh and blood alone cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Only the spirit, the new man, resurrected and changed, just like Jesus' a new resurrected body, was a body, yes, of flesh, but of spirit, a new kind of man. That man is the man that inherits the kingdom of God. So it's a consistent pattern. And so basically what Paul is saying in this vice, listen, 1 Corinthians, is he's saying, listen, if you don't allow Christ to wash you and sanctify you, which is to make you holy, to give you his spirit and allow that spirit to begin to transform you so that that new self becomes more and more your identity over your old self, then you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, why would he tell us that? He wants us to inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us this because he wants us to inherit the kingdom of God. The desire is for all people to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, to put their trust in him, in the unseen. That's faith. That his kingdom is good and that his way to the kingdom is the only way. But this is so hard. How do I inherit this kingdom? It's only through Jesus and what he can do for you that you can inherit the kingdom of God. So when we read this vice list, of course, we immediately think, wow, who among us could inherit the kingdom of God? And the answer is none of us apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, this is so important. Go back with me one chapter because it's been a while since we read this. But do you remember in chapter 5? Verses 8 through 11. I just want to reread that to us because it's all part of the context here. Do you remember when we talked about there was some young man in the church who was sleeping with his mother in law? And Paul said, Listen, that's not even acceptable among the non Christian Corinthians. And yet you as a church are just allowing it to happen in your midst. Do you remember that sermon? This vice list is different. We see nothing about God talking about these vices are not even, or Paul talking about these aren't even acceptable among the Corinthians. He's saying, no, these vices actually are fairly accepted amongst the Corinthians. It's normal and common, but not amongst you. And so look with me now at 5, 8 through 11. I'm going to read that again. It says, I write to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, I do not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters. Similar list, right? Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. (laughs) But I actually wrote this not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother and sister and is sexually immoral greedy or idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or swindler. Same list. Within the church, he says. Verse 13, he says, God judges outsiders, but we are to make judgments within the community of Christ. You remember that? So when we talk about these vice lists, it's, it's, it's super important, and, and it might be obvious to you, maybe it's not. We're talking about within the community of Christ. Um, Paul makes it very clear. You'd have to leave the world <laughs> to not associate with people who continue to live and, and uh, this, these common lifestyles. And so we're not talking about outsiders. We're talking about kingdom dwellers, those who want to be a part of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God, Paul will say, begins right now. That's such an important concept. I want to say it again. The kingdom of God, yes, is an eternal reality, a future reality, but it's also a present reality. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ your eternal life starts right now. And that is a life in which Jesus is king. Or Jesus gives you your purpose and your meaning. He defines what it is to live. And therefore he can define the vices which get in the way of living into those purposes. Not those outside the church, because they don't even want to be a part of the kingdom of God. But those who do want to be a part of the kingdom of God That needs to start right now. Does that make sense? Now you say, what if there's somebody that's in one of these vice lists that says, I do want to be a part of the kingdom of God, but I just can't give up this vice. What do you do? This is so common. In fact, this is all of our stories. There are things that we don't think we can give up. But the question we ask of anyone, and the question Paul is asking of the Corinthians is, do you want the kingdom of God or not? Jesus told a parable about this. He said, if you found the kingdom of God, it'd be like finding a treasure in a field. A field you didn't own, but you would go sell everything else. Once you saw this treasure, you'd sell everything else so that you could buy this field just so that you could own the treasure that is buried in the field. So a question we all have to ask ourselves, because we all wrestle with some vice, some besetting sin, some common temptation that that seems to rule and reign in us, or at least hang on for our entire life. The question is, do we want the kingdom of God enough to sell everything, to buy the field, or do we kind of just want the kingdom of God thrown in on top? That's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, listen, there's a wisdom of the world and it is not aligned with the kingdom of God. And if you don't want the kingdom of God now, then I don't think you actually want it in the future. C.S. Lewis famously says, God, there's only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done, your kingdom come, and those Who God says to them, your will be done, your kingdom come. And he allows us to choose. And Paul says that choice begins not just when we die, but right now. Do we want the kingdom? Do we want to be inheritors? If so, we take very seriously a vice list such as this. So let's look closely now at this particular list and ask, Some tough questions. Okay. There's nine vices I see listed here. Again, not exhaustive. How do we know? Murder's not even on the list. (laughs) Okay, it's not like, well, in Corinth, murder's okay, but, you know, Ephesus, no murdering. You know, it's like, he's just (laughs) picking some that he thinks probably are of particular importance to highlight that maybe may have been lost or may have been pretty common, and maybe even particularly common amongst the ruling elite sort of judge class of Corinth. So what are they? Number one, he calls them sexually immoral people. We could call them fornicators, uh, those who are having sex in a way that God has not prescribed. Idolaters, people who are worshiping idols, images of so-called gods and other gods. Adulterers, those people who are sleeping with people who are not their spouse. Males who have sex with males, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, and swindlers, con artists. Let's be honest. Lots of vices here, and even though this is not an exhaustive list, my guess is that most of us are covered by one of these. Covered meaning, at some point in our life, we have fallen into this vice. Not every vice, but one of these vices. You say, not me, Dave, not me, not me. Would you be willing for me to take a look at your bank statement, credit card statement? Do you spend as much money on others as you spend on yourself? Greed's a serious problem in this country. Let me take a look. Hands come down. (laughs) These are very common vices. And if you take the list as a whole, who can be saved? Only those who are washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's so important. Paul says, do not be deceived. So easy to be deceived. Well, we don't have a greed problem in America. Are you sure? Who told you that? Have you met other people from other parts of the world? Have you watched the way they live? When someone hands them a free t-shirt, do they say, ah, I won't take that, it's not my color? I do that. Now, a nuance I, gotta, I need to point out to you about this list, and about all the lists. Do you notice the type of words these are? They're nouns, right? Swindlers, drunkards, thieves, adulterers, right? Paul is putting them in a particular category. He's saying these are the kind of people whose identity is rooted in the vice. Meaning this, he's not talking about anyone who has ever done any of this. It's not who he's talking about. He's talking about people who participate in allowing their identity to be one of these vices. Meaning, they are more than just frequent or regular offenders. It's their reputation, it's what they're known as. They allow their name to be put on it. He's saying, you can't Stay that way and be a part of God's family. Why? Key word here in chapter 11. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is to say what? Your identity must change from the vice to the glories of Christ. That's the swap. But the identity has to change. He's not saying none of you will ever get drunk again, or none of you will ever sleep with somebody that you shouldn't sleep with. He's not saying that. He's saying you take with you the name of Jesus Christ and therefore fight against all the voices that used to be your identity, that used to be your old name, because you've taken on a new identity as a Christ follower, as a kingdom inheritor, as a part of the new family of God. And what's the last name of that family? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this can be true of any one of these vices. Are you known as a con artist? Do people know you're a loudmouth, abusive, vitriolic, arguer? Are you a drunkard? What's the first thing people say about you? That you're rich? That you have nice things? Or do they say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Paul's saying, if you're not going to put on the name of Jesus Christ and live by the spirit of Christ, you should take a hard look of if you're an inheritor of his kingdom. Paul's trying to be helpful here, saying we can't just go on living like the world if we're a part of a different kingdom with a different king who has different parameters for life and living and mission and goals. You got to take on the new that is in Christ, all of it. How do you do that? When were you given a new name? Paul would say, and we would say, at your baptism. We've got baptisms this summer. If you're interested in baptism, we would love to talk to you. we would love to get you a baptism coach so you can like, walk through. Is baptism right for me? Baptism, what we do, we sit in the waters of Green Lake, and we drop somebody in. We say, uh, uh, buried with Christ in baptism. So you're associating with his death, his cross, his payment for your sin. Buried with Christ. The old dies, and then we let you sit there for a while. 2022. We let you sit there. Wash it off. No, okay. We let you, man, we blow you back up. Raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. You take his name in his death, and you take his name in your new life. The old has died. The new has come. All things will be changed. We read that for those who inherit the kingdom of God. And what that is actually picturing is something that's happened to you, what? By the Spirit, verse 11. The Spirit of our God has already associated you with Christ's death and His resurrection. You've taken on His name through the Spirit. And so, how can you then be a part of this other family if you're a part of God's family? This 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 is so huge at the center of these vice lists. Paul's just saying you just can't be a part of two families. Yes, you're going to be in the world and you're going to have friends that are part of these other families, but what family do you belong to at the core? And all of us, at some point in our life, identified with our vice family over and above our Christ family. All of us. And God's mercy and grace draws us and woos us into the better kingdom, the kingdom of life everlasting, an age to come, but an age that begins right now that we can experience that life and that freedom now through the Spirit. Okay? So, that's the vice list generally. Now i got to hit pause here. we got to take a quick excursion. Because, probably when I read this passage, maybe it felt like there was an elephant that walked into the room. At least in a city like Seattle. There's an elephant that walked in the room. What about this vice? Males who have sex with males. This is one of the so-called, I say so-called by um, people who'd be sort of Opponents of what a historic Christian position on this verse would be, people would call this one of the six so-called clobber passages, meaning that there's six pa- there's, only, there's only they'd say there's only six passages in the Bible that speak about same-sex intercourse. This would be one of the top. Now, I just I just want to point out, sort of humbly, that I don't quite understand how many there would have to be for it to not be an issue. Like, if it's seven or eight or nine. Like, I I say that, like, honestly, I've been looking. I've been hoping to find a good answer. I don't know, but it is one of the passages that seems to make it clear. So we want. To, I want to look at that. And I have eight things to say before we look at it because... This is a sensitive subject, and I want to be clear about it, and I want to be faithful to what God has put on my heart. Um, But the first thing I want to say about that is our dedication to the Scripture. The way we preach through the Bible, if you've been here long enough, is we typically go through books of the Bible. Why do we do that? If I just preach topical series about whatever that topic would be, my tendency as a businessman, as a... Um, purveyor of culture, and under, I would tend to skip the difficult stuff because it's uncomfortable to talk about. And so, part of our dedication to preaching through books of the Bible is we will let God's word speak first and then we'll try to understand it what it means for us now, what it meant then, how to apply it, how to repent and lament over ways we've done it bad in the past as a church. So we let the Scriptures push us into uncomfortable places. That's part of what it means that the Scripture is inspired, that it will take us places we wouldn't choose to go. So we're going. This is our teaching methodology. And uh, I was mentioning that, what I, that I was going to do a little excursus on this uh, topic today to somebody who's been here from day one. And they said, I don't think I've ever heard Dave preach on that <laughs> from the pulpit. Seven years. And um, it's probably true that this is the most direct. Why? Because we haven't come to 1 Corinthians 6-9 yet. And we haven't come to Romans chapter 1 yet. And we haven't studied Leviticus chapter 18 yet. And we haven't studied Genesis 19 yet. And we haven't studied Matthew 19 and Jesus' words there yet. And we haven't been in 1 Timothy yet. But God's brought us here. So we'll speak on it. Not because it's a hobby horse or the most important thing to us, but because God's word invites us to talk about this. And so I hope. I hope it's helpful. It's helpful for those of you who are struggling with the historic teaching of the church for 2,000 years, that are maybe feeling, or you have friends who feel like, I can't be a part of the church of Jesus because of this historic teaching or because of verses like this. I hope that for those of you who are experiencing same-sex attraction, who are wrestling with this, trying to figure out what this means for you in relation to your relationship with God, that this brings hope and joy for you, that you know this is a safe place to wrestle with that question. I know many of you have friends, siblings. I've talked to so many of you who have friends, siblings, or yourself are going through this. You have close relatives who are gay. And that's not changing. I hope you might find a way to understand this and speak to this so that it doesn't affect your relationship with Christ or your relationship with them. I'll just mention this because sometimes what's levied against anyone that might um, what's the word? Um, propagate or continue on the historic teaching of the church, which is what I'm about to do. Spoiler alert. Um, sometimes people will say, well, you've never, you don't have any friends. You don't know anybody personally that's struggling with this or identifies in this way. I just say that's not true. I have three, what I would consider, good friends right now who I'm speaking with at least once a month for extended periods of time who are gay. So this is not impersonal to me. This is very personal. I wrestle with this. I struggle with this. What is the best way to talk about it? Do we talk about it? I'll just tell you it's not what I lead with. It's not what we talk about every time. I like to spend most of my time just talking about who Jesus is. He's the best. If you are somebody who this is your story, this is a personal story for you, I just want you to know that no one can actually know your exact struggle, your exact battle like you do. You can have people that come along, comrades that come and and you can share with, but to be honest, only you know. There's this great old Negro spiritual that goes like this. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. So I just want to say, that's true. You need to turn to Jesus He's the only one that can meet you fully in this. I'm going to try to explain to you what I think the Bible clearly is teaching here and and where it teaches elsewhere. But you need to just take this up and talk with Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble you see. Nobody except Jesus. It's ultimately about you and Jesus talking. But I want to make sure I don't mislead so that you don't talk about this with Jesus. So that's for all of us, but particularly for those of you who would have this orientation. I'm only on the fifth thing in my list, by the way. So the fifth thing. I think we want to talk about this because, honestly, it honors the sacrifice of Christ. This scripture is not saying that those who are gay, those who have sexual orientation that is to the same sex, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is wide open to all who, and all of us have this, we're living according to the flesh and our blood and have now received the washing, sanctification, justification and the new name in Christ and walk now by spirit and faith. So it's honoring to Christ to talk about there's nothing that keeps us from Christ or his kingdom. Nothing can keep us from that. The sixth thing. Um, I want to make it clear that the church, this church, is a place for all people to gather. All people are welcome here to gather, to learn of Christ, to study His Word, to be a part of this community. But also, that Christ calls all of us to live in a particular way. Seventh, I want to make it clear, there is no place for any type of subtle or obvious bigotry, homophobia, hatred, prejudice, malice, slander, name-calling in the church of Jesus Christ. That should be any church, let it be particularly true of Sedaris Church. For those of us who have participated in that, either knowingly or unknowingly, as we search ourselves, may God wash us give us mercy and grace for our sin as revilers who use abusive language, which is clearly a part of the same list. You say, then Dave, why, <laughs> why are you even talking about this then? What, what if it would lead to that? Here's three reasons why I feel like we should, we're, we're being, you know, Pulling this particular vice out of a list. The first. Is this is what the media highlights. This is what everybody's talking about. I don't think if you ask most pastors and preachers. Like they'd say. This is the thing I really want to talk about. But because it's in the public conversation. A lot of people are wondering. When they read a text like this. What do we do with that part? And so. This is why. I'm doing this excursus. I'm pulling this particular point out. Because. The world's talking about it so we look at this particular not because it's more egregious or worse sin or somehow keeps you out of the kingdom of God it's a part of a vice list (laughs) and every one of them has the ability to keep you from the kingdom of God if it owns you rather than Christ but it's part of the public discourse particularly right now in our world the second reason is unlike the other vices, there is a strong, powerful contingent of advocates for this particular vice. Normalizing it. And again, we're not sort of in charge of what's happening outside of the church, but of course that bleeds into the church. Now just imagine if the same force behind any of these other vices had as strong of an advocacy group backing it, trying to normalize it in the world, like thievery I'm trying to say that's you know like that's not a vice anymore well then we'd probably be doing an excursus on thievery of just making it very clear like that's not what the people of god should be about so you see that because of the nature of this particular vice and the, and the way it functions in our culture and the strong media presence and advocacy it just sort of highlights it and then finally it is true about this particular vice As you'll see in Romans 1, when you read Romans 1, verse 24, 25, 26, that this particular vice is more obvious. Meaning, uh, Romans will say, it is against the normal patterns of the world. Males who have sex with males is sort of a more obvious thing that just is noticeable rather than other types of sexual immorality that are not as noticeable in the world. So, all these three things sort of force us to just sort of pause on this, and I just just want to say that. Not because this particular vice is the worst vice. I actually don't think it's the worst vice. I think a lot of these other vices do more damage in the world, particularly something like pride and greed, than does this vice in the list. But this is the one everybody's talking about so with that being said the thing the few things I'll say I can't say everything are rooted in a lot of study in the last few years I've read five books on the issues I'll just mention the authors of these books the first four I'll mention are those who would hold to a historic Christian position on this but who are themselves same-sex attracted so Jackie Hill Perry Christopher Yuan Rosaria Butterfield Sam Alberry. They would all represent those who have chosen um, to take this vice that's still part of the list and, and work with God to live a life that's honoring and holy in the way they see. And so they've written great books on that. Jackie Hill Perry, Christopher Yuan, Rosaria Butterfield, Sam Alberry. And if you pick up any of those books and want reading read any of those books and talk to me about them, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I've also read two other, the most popular or well-read books in Christian circles, that would take what would be called the revisionist uh, position. And I've read those thoroughly, prayed about those, even looked for what would be strong arguments that might change my mind. And um, I just want to say I've engaged those. And if you pick up those books or any other books, I'd love to talk to you about it. I like talking about this issue. I think it helps us identify what does it mean to follow Christ and to love his word. So those would be Matthew Vines and David Gushy. And I'll share uh, an excerpt from David Gushy here uh, because I think it's particularly helpful. David Gushy is somebody who I uh, read his ethics book when I was in seminary and loved it, and he's had a change of opinion since he wrote that book, and it's interesting to engage that. So, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and if you want to talk about it, I'd love to talk more about it. Now, having said all that, having said all that, it's a good start, <laughs> but just to start. We don't have that much further to go, just so you know. I, I, I could say so much. I was just to say, come, let's talk. I'd love to grab a coffee or come to the office, and we'll talk more if you have more questions. But I want to focus specifically on what this passage has to say. Males who have sex with males... What are the Greek words? They're important. They're actually quite unique, peculiar. What do they mean? What is Paul getting at? Is he really talking about homosexual sexual relations? Is that what he's talking about? He's definitely not just talking about homosexuals, those who have same-sex attraction only. He's talking about actual sexual intercourse, males having sex with males. We know that, because the two Greek words that are used, malakoi and arsenokini, they're two words if you read it in the Greek, and they actually refer to the passive partner and the active partner in a same-sex relations, in intimate same-sex relations, okay? And what's unique about this passage, if you do get into a full debate about, well, does the Bible actually teach this? This is the passage that makes it most clear I think probably Romans 1 is most clear. This is the second most clear passage that we're talking um, about both partners in a same sex interaction. Why is this important? You may have heard this, you may have not, and that's okay, but one of the arguments goes like this. Well, in that day and age, um, there wasn't such thing as consensual same-sex relations. Uh, Some people would say primarily Paul's only ever talking when he talks about this or any of the New Testament writers are only talking about it when it's um, an oppressive sexual experience, meaning somebody with power, oftentimes an older person and a young child, participate in this kind of action. The question is, is that true? And I think an honest reading of the Greek and also an honest look at history would say that's not actually true. Here we have two words that Paul's clearly using to represent two parts of the relationship. Meaning, this is, he's probably speaking about consensual, love-filled relationships between men. It doesn't seem that he has the other type of males having sex with males in mind. So be very clear with that because that is often what you would read in a revisionist study on this passage. That's not true. And it seems to be from writings outside of the Bible that there is actually nothing new under the sun. That actually this was common. That in ancient times, this was a very much accepted, normalized practice. The same way as it is in America these days. I just want to make that clear. I think that's one of the most important things about this particular part. Now, again, the Bible as a whole tells a narrative and a story about God's good design for sex, starting in Genesis 1 and going all the way to the bride and the groom coming together at the end of time. That's Jesus and his church. And so there is this overarching argument and then there's specific verses like this one but I wanted to give you some clear teaching on what does the actual Greek mean because what's happening is a lot of sort of mud is being stirred up we can't really know we can't really know we can't really be sure and of course there's always some mystery when you read the word of God but it's not as mysterious it's not as unknown as many would have you believe and in some of the books that I read as might be um uh, as they try to make the argument. Here's one one way I'd like to help us see this. One way that I'd help like us help us see this. This is a vice list, but there's other vice lists. There's vice lists in the Old Testament. So one of the other really important passages is in, in Leviticus 18. And uh, sometimes you'll hear, hear arguments and they say, well, if we helicopter into this particular verse, it's Leviticus 18... I believe it's verse 22, which speaks about men who have sex with men, Um, then for some reason we have to take all of the law, the ceremonial law, the dietary laws, everything must be. I don't think that's a particularly honest way to read the scripture. In Leviticus 18, I just want to read read you the intro into what is a long list of that pretty much only looks at sexual relations. Okay, so let me, let me read this to you. Leviticus 18 says this. This is, this is the law given to Israel when they're in the desert through Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord your God. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live or follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You must not follow their customs. You are to practice my ordinances and you are to keep my statutes by following them. I am the Lord your God. You could say, I am your new king. Keep my statutes and my ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. Okay, so what comes right after this? And you can go read it on your own. The rest of the chapter. He gives 23 regulations around sexual intercourse. Twenty-three. There's like one in there that's not related to it, but it's, it's definitely related in, in another way. But 23, nobody tells you this. There's 23, and you can go read them for yourself. But I'm pretty sure that of the 23, there may only be one that most people in our word, world today would disagree with, and that is men who have sex with men. So why do I bring that up? We do the same thing with this vice list. We read it and we agree with every other vice on the list except one. And we go to Leviticus 18 and we agree with everything except one. Why do we do that? What does Paul say? Do not be deceived. I think we have to be really honest with ourselves, at least in this. that the Bible is pretty clear about this particular issue. If, if we can only take one out of a list of 23, or one out of this list of nine, then maybe we are the ones being the judges, rather than allowing God to be the judge. I just want to read you this quote from David Geshe. I told, so David Gushy is uh, one who has changed his mind on this issue. And he has lots of reasons for doing that, including his sister, um, who is same-sex, attracted and and living in a relationship. And so you understand, like, I I understand, I understand his desire to find a way um, for the Bible not to say this. But at the end of his book, he's responding to critics. It's in its third edition. Like I said, it's very popular. And Gushy writes this. So this, he's a biblical scholar, an ethicist, a philosopher, He's a man of truth. He writes this. In some, he's he's responding to one of his critics. In some, I concede that if all the contemporary church had available to it as a resource for its moral discernment relating to this issue were a few texts that appear to speak narrowly to a morality of same-sex intercourse, it is most likely that the church could... um, It is most unlikely that the church could ever get to a place of full acceptance of their covenanted same-sex adult relationships. Okay. What is that? This is David Gushy, a man of truth, acknowledging in his own book that if what we have to discern moral morality is this book, this book is clear. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I disagree with the book, Because of all these other reasons, and there are a lot of reasons to to wrestle through and think through, but this book is clear, is what he's saying. He concedes that. But he says the other evidence is stronger to him. So he will find, he's found a way to create enough agnosticism around these passages to say, I'm not going to be the one to step in. So the question we all have to ask is, is that honesty, and I want to just say this. The only people that I ever get upset with in all of this, it's, it's not people who this is the thing that they struggle with. I have nothing but compassion like Jesus does for this. This is a part of the brokenness in the fall that most everybody doesn't have any say in. It's, it's a part of the fall, okay? The thing that gets me so riled up is the dishonesty of Christian pastors or teachers or writers who aren't clear and honest. Most, to be honest, you might have read this book. You probably didn't read all the way to where I read. I read every word of it. We tuck in our honesty somewhere where we think people won't find it at the very back of the book. That's what gets me so upset. And one of our principles at Sedaris, we'll talk about it here over lunch, is honesty breeds freedom. So I don't want to add on to the dishonesty. I want honesty, the honesty of Christ, to bring freedom. I don't want confusion. I want honesty. And the Bible does seem to say, and and somebody like David Gushy would agree, it seems to be pretty clear. Now, of course, if you don't believe in a God, this isn't for you. If you don't believe in the work of Jesus, this isn't for you. If you don't believe that God inspired the Bible, of course then pick and choose. But if you want to come underneath God and His Word, I think we have to be honest and pray that honesty will breed freedom. So all this is to say, and I want to say it clearly, if you come to me, and I hope that you would, if you come to me and you say, Dave, I am so attracted to this girl who is not yet my wife. I love her. Should I have sexual relations with her? So I'll be honest. I will tell you no. That is a bad idea. You should avoid it. It will affect your connection to God, and it will dishonor Him. Then you say, you come to me and you say, Dave, I'm unhappy in my marriage. I've fallen in love with my coworker. Is it okay to have sexual relations with her? I will look at you and I will say. No. It's a bad idea. You should avoid it at all costs. It will affect your connection to God and dishonor him. If you come to me and you say, Dave, I'm attracted to a person of the same sex. We are in love. Should I have sexual relations with them? I will say no. It's a bad idea. You should avoid it. It will affect your connection to God and dishonor him. And all of this is rooted in part, in my understanding, of 1 Corinthians 6, chapters 9, 10, and 11. I do hope we have that conversation, by the way. You're not in this alone. This is not like some easy thing. Like Paul said, we've talked about this before, probably many, many times. He's just reminding them, let's keep the conversation going. So I believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I'm going to be honest. I don't want confusion. But I have to read you this. As much as I believe in in verse 10, that's the Word of God, I also believe in verse 11. What does it say? And some of you used to be like this. You used to be owned by this. This used to be the most important thing about you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Actually, friends, this the last thing I'll say about this particular vice, this is not, I think, the worst vice in the list. It's not the end of the world if your attraction is only to the same sex. It's not. There's probably some stuff on here that's going to cause a lot more damage than this. And for every single vice, in this less and another, Paul says, and such were some of us. he's pointing to himself, by the way. I was one of these. Paul was probably particularly verbally abusive. He says, but Christ washed us. The church, heck, our church, is full of people whose primary identifier used to be, I was sexually promiscuous, I, uh, I was a worshiper of other gods, I was an adulterer, unfaithful to my spouse, I was gay or lesbian, I was greedy, a lover of money, I was a shady business person, I was verbally abusive, I was a hothead, I was a con artist. Like, our church is just full of people that that used to be it. <laughs> But now their primary identity is as a son or daughter in God's family, a follower of Jesus, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, an heir of all of Christ's promises. To the praise and the glory of God. So having said that, let's not be naive. This doesn't mean that the rustle is over. When we read this, don't read, and some of you are like this, meaning, and now it's over. Don't be naive. There is always an ongoing and often intense relationship that you'll have to these vices, even after you used to be some of these. Most people probably often for the rest of their life, some of these vices will be knocking at the door trying to gain background. I know my own vices. I'm not expecting them to go away. I'm going to have to fight against those in order to honor God for the rest of my life, most likely. I still pray that God would take those temptations fully away but I'm not expecting, I'm not demanding that he do that, I'm asking, I'm hoping, I'm praying and some will but many won't whatever the vice may be I am still prone to be verbally abusive and I can't be naive about that I constantly pray for God to give me grace and wisdom when to speak, when not to speak, how to speak and I have to apologize a lot Ask my wife. So this, Paul's not saying, you used to be and now it's just completely gone. No, don't be naive. There is no doubt that Jesus, if he showed up in our world today, would be hanging out with lots of people that are on this vice list, okay? He'd be hanging out with them, going to parties at their house, sharing about the kingdom of God and saying, I want to invite you in. So we want to be like Jesus. If you or someone you love struggles with any vice on this list, you need to hear this right now. So perk up. That's pretty much all of us, by the way. Any vice on this list, if you struggle with this, or if someone you love struggles with this, you need to hear this message. The triune God doesn't reject you. Or disown you. He isn't disappointed in who you are. He delights in who he has made you to be. And he desires to be with you, to be close to you, and to revive you. And the way all of this can and will happen is to meet Jesus, to accept his gift of grace by acknowledging his sacrifice on the cross for you and your sins. All of them And to believe that God raised him from the dead. And that through your faith in his work for you, as verse 11 says, you are washed. You are sanctified, made holy. You are justified, declared not guilty in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his spirit. Which is why... As a church, we should never and will never put any barrier between Jesus and anyone who is honestly considering who he is and what that means for them. No matter what their vice may be, we must never put a barrier between them and Jesus. The most important thing I can say If you ever see Sedaris Church putting a barrier between someone and Jesus, please don't keep your mouth shut. Help us to see that. Because it's through Jesus, and only through Jesus, that someone might experience the power and the transformation in order to live a new life for King Jesus and away from the old life. Let's pray.